Happy 4th of July. It's the day the church has to struggle with the challenge of living in two kingdoms at the same time. Now, the problem with most people's understanding of the two kingdom doctrine is the assumption that two kingdoms are at war with each other and only one can win. Far too many people, and especially certain social media posts, picture a giant chessboard with black and white pieces lined up on both sides. And you see on one side is God and the church, and on the other side is the government and Satan. But if you read the Bible, you discover the most amazing thing. Turns out God actually knows about both kingdoms. In fact, not only are they known, but God says both have a purpose until there is only one kingdom. The second and most important point is God has already won. In fact, there was never a time when God hadn't won. And so in a very real way, there has always only been one kingdom. So let's back up a little. The Two Kingdoms Doctrine was championed by Martin Luther, but he based his work on St. Augustine's City of God. Luther said, God has ordained two kingdoms, the spiritual, which by the Holy Spirit produces Christians and pious folk under Christ, and the secular, which restrains unchristian and evil folk, so they are obliged to keep outward peace, albeit by no merit of their own. In the kingdom of God, believers are led by God's spirit and word to begin to do the right thing. And while never perfect on this side of heaven, they strive not to do what they do to be saved, but they do everything they do because they are saved. Those who do not have faith are kept in check by the government's sword. That's the thing that St. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 13. And the two kingdoms will exist until there is only one. Two of the most noted verses during discussions of the two kingdoms, the first, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. And the other one, Romans chapter 13, the words of St. Paul, everyone must submit to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And those who oppose it bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have its approval. For government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Now, I want to throw in a couple of other lessons. Today's gospel lesson, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and unto God that which is God. And 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge the petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's enough to chew on for several months, but since you don't want to listen to me preach for several months, we're going to figure out what we can do in about 15 minutes and trust God and His Spirit to fill in all of the blanks. Most of you know the Hallelujah Chorus by Handel. It's actually an Easter song that barged into and refuses to leave our Christmas celebrations. If I were to sing, King of Kings, you would respond with, and Lord of Lords, and we would all join in. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Alleluia. Alleluia. But it's actually the next part that I want to note. The kingdom of this world 
is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. So, what is that kingdom of this world? And how does it re-become the kingdom of our Lord? And by the way, I want you to spend a little time this afternoon thinking about the grammar. Is become. Is become. Oh, I think there's a lot there. Now, everything demands our allegiance. If we are not against something, the world assumes we're for it. And if we aren't for something, then the world assumes we're against it. There is very little middle ground these days. Last week, we noted the kingdom of this world, no matter how many promises it makes, cannot save us. It has an awful lot of time, and it still hasn't been able to do it. No matter how many promises it makes, it's never able to actually close the deal. Now, Jesus comes to reestablish his kingdom for those who have figured this out. In other words, for those who have said, you know, this just isn't working. I, I need something more. So, now God's kingdom isn't another kingdom or really a new kingdom. It's the original kingdom. In fact, it's the only kingdom. And instead of conquering us and forcing his kingdom upon us, in other words, coming down and saying, you don't have a choice. All of you, right now, bow down the way it's going to be. Instead, Jesus restores his kingdom through his suffering, his death on a cross, and his resurrection. That's rather unique, don't you think? Beautiful passage from Ephesians 4. What does Jesus ascended mean except that he first descended to the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Now that's a companion verse to Colossians 1.16. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him. All things are held together. Now, God is not limited by time or space. He fills it to overflowing. God is actually bigger than the whole universe. Ephesians 4 again. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, when we get to heaven, I can't wait to ask God, well, I've got like a billion questions, but one that I really want answered. Why, out of everything in the universe he created, did he take a particular interest in a tiny little blue dot which happens to be the third rock from a sun that resides in the Milky Way galaxy and upon which are humans that he chose to create in his image and breathe the breath of life and his spirit into them, even though most of them don't seem to notice or care. You know, long before sin knocked the breath and the spirit out of these humans, in fact, even before he breathed life into them in that very first instance, he knew that he was going to have to leave his heavenly throne and come down from heaven and save them. He could not and would not leave them to their own undoing, for such is the love of a God for his people, even when they do not know how to love him back. God's love flowed out of the heavens and became incarnate in a baby, born to a virgin in a small town called Bethlehem during a census, most likely being taken so the emperor could wage a war and conquer more people for his kingdom. Now, this Bethlehem baby grew up as all babies do, and I know that every mom says their baby is special, but this one really was even more special. And even though as God, he is infinite and eternal, he chose to take on flesh and blood and eyes and hands and feet and a nose in order to save his people. Isaiah, the 57th chapter, for the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this, I live in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. 
It's those words, and with, that make all the difference for me. God inhabits eternity, and he's bigger than the universe. And yet by choice, by love, he also chooses to dwell with us, the oppressed and the lowly of spirit. Are you beginning to get a fingernail around this kingdom of God? It's unlike anything we would imagine because it is about love and sacrifice and forever. Things that we may talk about but rarely live out. We say loving one another, caring for one another, treating one another with respect is important. But there's always an excuse as to why we can't quite get to it this week because we're a little busy. We got a lot going on. But maybe next week we'll actually be able to get around to doing it. You know, while we mark Christmas as the coming of God into the flesh to save us, He has never not been with us. Christmas is just the moment in time we recognize what has always been and always shall be. God among us, or as we say in the Gospel of John, God with us. Even as we tear our world and nation and neighbors apart in the name of whatever cause we happen to be defending at the time, God watches and he weeps and he holds out his hands in love in case we've had enough and are ready to return to the other kingdom which is really the only kingdom, his kingdom. When Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? Jesus answered, you say so. It's an interesting twist of a phrase because in the most sacred of ways, it doesn't matter if Jesus declares himself as king unless by faith we come to accept it and proclaim it with more than just words, but with our life. Pilate, like so many, doesn't see how Jesus could be a king, bringing good news to the poor, releasing captives, healing the sick, eating with sinners, and disagreeing with the rich and the powerful in both the church and the state. Always doesn't seem very smart to those who are rich and powerful in the church and the state. And yet, the whole time, Jesus was also, without hesitation, proclaiming the kingdom of God has come near. That's unlike any king that anybody's ever known which is why everyone was so confused as to what kind of kingdom Jesus might be king of. If we want a definition of the kingdom of God, well, Revelation 21 is as good as we're ever going to get. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, with his people, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will no longer exist either, because the previous things have all passed away. Two kingdoms existing, and only, only one is necessary, and only one is left. Now, what believers are led to see by faith begins with the Christmas gospel. The light of God shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot, will not, not ever overcome it. But it doesn't stop there. Or even with Easter's angelic promise, don't be alarmed. I know you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified and was dead. But he's not here because he's resurrected. But then we go. Then we go to the Ascension, because as Lutherans, the Ascension also has a very special place in our liturgical calendar, even if it means we have to come to church on a Thursday. This is where Jesus promises, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And as he ascends and is hidden by the clouds, we see God still at work in this world. In other words, God didn't leave us. He's still at work, even though Jesus went right up to the heavens. 
And this is where we see God urgently, dangerously, beauteously, and sometimes laughingly, putting up signs everywhere that says the kingdom of God is near. And each time we see one of those signs, we are reminded, encouraged, pushed, pulled, even dragged toward the waiting arms of a Savior and His kingdom. Every one of those signs remind us God has the final word over our life, over our church, over our community, over our nation, and over our world. And there is only one real choice, to slowly, by faith and the Spirit, be drawn into this beautiful, wonderful kingdom of God. The alternative may sound like a choice, but it really isn't because it doesn't go anywhere. Which is why the Hallelujah Chorus sings, the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. What Jesus declared in his birth and life and suffering and death and resurrection and ascension is actually a lot simpler than we thought. The kingdom of God is not a place. It's not a time. It's not a government, a church, a bumper sticker, a nation. It's not even a TikTok video. It is you. You are the kingdom of God. See, out of all the things in the universe, you're the only thing that Jesus saved. Everything else will melt away until there is nothing left. And by the way, not even remembered. I know it's easier for us to run around saying we're establishing God's kingdom on earth. We want churches on every corner, a cross on every building, prayers in every school. And yet such things do not and cannot matter if the heart and souls of the people who sit in those pews and who work in those buildings, and whose children attend those schools, are not, by faith, members of the true kingdom. You see, the kingdom is people, not things. And so we can label anything and everything we want, but the only thing that matters is the heart of God's people. We have become too obsessed with bigger buildings, new programs, political influence, denouncing churches that aren't us, correcting everyone who doesn't agree with us, subverting those in power, and keeping everything exactly the same. And we do it in the name of Jesus, which is rather strange, because most of his ministry advocated just the opposite. Someone asked the prophet Micah what being a believer required, and Micah answered, Well, God has told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. When this same question got asked of the prophet Zechariah, he said, Well, the Lord of hosts says this, Make fair decisions, show faithful love and compassion to one another, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor, and do not plot evil in your hearts against one another. You are the kingdom of God, which is why when Jesus said the kingdom of God has come near, suddenly makes total sense. Because wherever you are, the kingdom of God is there because you are near. Make no mistake, you are still imperfect, broken, hurting, and lost. I am still imperfect, broken, hurting, and lost. But we are also unique and unreproducible miracles of God. And that's why God has chosen us, to bring light into the darkness and hope to those who don't have any. Not by being perfect or knowing all the right things to say, or being all things to all people, but simply by being proof of His grace. If you can stand on your head without getting nauseous, do that. Or if you have to, take a video and flip it upside down, or maybe sideways, or maybe reversed. See your life and your world from a different perspective. Two kingdoms exist until there is only one, which is the one that has always existed. And while it may seem like you spend most of your day in the other kingdom, you know, the kingdom of the world, the truth is you are taking the kingdom of God wherever you go, to whoever you meet, 
in whatever you do. And that means that that other kingdom, the kingdom of the world, will be impacted, changed, influenced, and even gumbied just because you are you and God is God. As God's kingdom moves through you and other believers in and through the kingdom of this world, signs are going up. Signs that remind everyone of a battle already won, a promise fulfilled, and a day when the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever and ever. And so just in case you don't have time this afternoon to read all 382 pages of St. Augustine's City of God or Luther's treatise on temporal authority, spoiler alert, you are the kingdom of God. Living and loving and laughing forever and ever and ever. And hopefully, taking a few folks along with you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.